Well, good morning. Uh, let me start out by saying it's been good to worship with you guys this morning through song. Uh, worship team, choir, what a, what a blessing. And now we're going to be able to open God's Word and worship Him through the hearing of His Word. And so if you're following along in Scripture, you can open your Bible to John chapter 6. We're continuing our study uh, through the book of John, and uh, it's been good. Uh, I, I've been so thankful this week that I've been able to preach on the text that we're going to be talking about this morning uh, because I've got to just be consumed in John chapter 6 all week. And it has been just such a, uh, it's so needed and, and just, it's just water the soil of my heart. Um, and so before we, before we launch into John 6, I want to take some time. I think, you know, uh, what God has to say to us through John chapter 6 is just as relevant today as it was back then, but our culture is different, so we need to kind of set the framework uh, for where we're going this morning, because um, oftentimes we approach the scripture to, you know, through the lens of our culture, and so we need to take a step back this morning. So uh, we went over, I was over with the men this morning praying, and when I came out, there were some kids, you know, in, in the mornings over in the East Sanctuary, there's kids, they're kicking kickballs and having a good time over there, and so... I just went over and I just asked them a simple question. I just went up to a few different kids and asked them a simple question. I said, where does food come from? Which the very first answer, which is probably one of my favorites, is a Pizza Hut. <laughs> and I was like, amen to that. That's bread from heaven, right? And, uh, and I said, okay, is like that the only place that, that, uh, that food comes from? They're like, no, it comes from the store. Okay, well, good. And so then I went over and I walked up to another child and I said, where does food come from? And uh, she says, McDonald's. I said, is that it? And I'm like, it, for me, food does not come from McDonald's. But hey, you know what? And then, then she said, no, 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 it comes from Burger King too. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so I'm like, okay, this is good. So I'm just going to keep going with this. And so I just walk up to the next one. And I'm like, and I have to take the ball away from him because he won't stop to talk to me. I'm like, you can have your ball back if you answer my question. And I said, where does food come from? And he looks at me like, what planet are you from? It comes from my house. I said, awesome. Like, just, it's just laying around your house? And he's like, no, the refrigerator. And I said, okay, well, that's good. That's, and so then I'm like, okay, one last one. And I find Esther, and I said, Esther, where does, where does food come from? Now, this is good. I said, this is, this is the last one. There's no need for me to ask anybody else. And she says, food comes from God. And I said, okay, we're going to stop right there. We're going we're gonna to end on that note. But more specifically than just food, where does, what is our, our culture in, in just the realm of bread? You know, we think of bread a little differently than they thought of bread here in John chapter 6. And so for us, I mean, just stop and think about it. If you go to the store, guys, you can get yourself in trouble Going, if your wife says, grab some bread on your way home, you can get yourself in trouble. I mean, there's a whole aisle of bread. I mean, you can have French bread. You can have uh, wheat bread. You can have white bread. You can have white wheat bread. There's like 15 different white breads. There's a hundred different wheat breads, wheat with oats, this and that, thick slice, thin slice, Texas toast. I mean, you just fill in the blank. And not only that, bread is simply just one aisle among many aisles in the store, right? You ever gone to eat dinner at somebody's house and they, uh, they say, um, you, you know, they, you, they invite you over for dinner. And they're like, well, you, you just want to bring something. You want to help out. You don't want them to be the sole person, you know, taking care of everything. And they're like, well, you know, you can bring some, bring some bread. And really what that means is, is like, I've got everything that we need. 
but, you know, it would be nice to have some bread. It would be nice to have something extra, right? Now, some of you are like, no, bread's where it's at, <laughs> right? Some of my bread lovers in the house. But uh, I, I don't eat a whole lot of bread because it just fills up in my stomach and I can't eat as much meat. But, but somebody, so the point is, is that, hey, like, it's just something extra that we have alongside our meal. Does that make sense? Now, the culture in which Jesus was talking to, it was very, very different. For them, bread was not extra. It wasn't something extra. It was something that was essential. It was necessary for life. It was necessary for life. It, and they were unable to go without. And so for us, you know, if I ask the question, so I ask the kids and say, I know I get the most honest answer from the kids. Uh, but if I ask the question, um, if I ask the question, uh, you know, what do we spend our money on? What do, you, what do we spend our money on as a culture? We would, you know, big answer is stuff. We spend our money on stuff. Now, different stuff, and, but it's stuff. See, the, the people of this time, they spent the majority of their money on necessities of life. And so bread was necessary for life. And so we got to understand the context of that as we launch into our discussion this morning on, on John chapter 6. Now, as we've gone through this, and we've just week in and week out, this is, I think, our 15th week. Uh, our 15th week on the study uh, of John. And so we've just seen, we've seen just Jesus' ministry starting to take shape and starting to, to form. And so what's happened now as we come to John chapter 6, there's these, these large crowds that have gathered, okay? These large crowds that have, have, are starting to follow Jesus. They've heard of all the, the healing. And some of them have witnessed it for themselves, and some of them uh, have seen it. Uh, and some have heard. And so like, so these people are like, they're wanting to see what this fuss is all about. They've heard about the healing. They've heard about him turning water into wine. They've heard about what the, all the buzz of what's going on in Samaria with the woman at the well. And then she runs back. And now all these things are, are transpire, transpiring in the official son. I mean, Jesus wasn't even there. He just spoke healing. And so they're hearing all these things. They hear about the paralytic who was paralyzed for, for 38 years. They're hearing all these things. And some are coming because they've seen. Some are becoming because they want to see. Some are coming because they're sick themselves. Or maybe they're bringing their loved ones. And, like, so they're, and so here comes this mass crowd. Everybody's coming in upon Jesus. And this is where we're going to pick up the, the story this morning. And so these people, and not just... Not just by the tens or the twenties or the hundreds. I mean, we're talking by the thousands. And it is a logistical nightmare. It is a logistical nightmare. So before we read, I'm going uh, to pray. So pray with me. Father, we're so grateful for your word, Lord. And we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, Lord. That you would give us ears to hear what you'd have us to hear. God, that you would speak clearly and that we would take what you show us and Apply it to our lives and be changed by it, God. In our time together, we pray that you would both challenge us and encourage us and accomplish everything that you desire to accomplish in each and every heart that's here this morning. God, thank you for this amazing passage of Scripture. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so in John, we're going to cover a lot of ground this morning. These uh, first six verses, uh, Tony Tony hit on last week just briefly, but just to kind of get our minds back around where we are, we're going to start here and we'll, we'll continue reading. So in John chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing the large crowd that was coming toward him, 
Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And then in verse 7, Philip answered him and says, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. And so uh, here we see, now many of you will know this, but so it says Jesus feeds the 5,000, but that's just that's just counting men. And so that's not counting women and children. And so really this crowd could be anywhere from, from 12 to, to 20,000 people. I mean, really, like this is a, a massive crowd of people that are, that are embarking upon it. And so it's getting late in the day. And Jesus is seeing that there's a great need. He sees the need of the people. And, uh, you know, he's, he's hearing babies crying. There's teenagers complaining, right? Because that's what teenagers do, right? Teenagers complaining. I can say that because I spend most of my life with teenagers. But the point is, is like the crowds kind of, they're, they're wearing down. They're wearing down. There's no, con- <clears throat> there's no concession stands open, you know. It's not uh, our consumer America. There's no Dollar General right around the corner from wherever you are at any point in time. It's, this is what it's like. It's like Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it's like Chick-fil-A. You ever been thinking, hey, Chick-fil-A sounds fantastic. And then you realize, it's Sunday. <laughs> One of the things, I read something this week that totally has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I found it amusing. Uh, the, they just built a new Georgia Dome for the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Atlanta Falcons play football. Football is played on Sunday. There's a Chick-fil-A in the Georgia Dome. I don't know. But, and they're not open on Sunday. So, but, all right, so it's like going to Atlanta Falcon game. And wanting Chick-fil-A on Sunday. So here, like, there's no, you know, you with me? So like, and nobody's leaving their place in line. You know what I mean? Like, this Jesus is doing amazing things. I want to see. I want to hear. I want to, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, and so nobody's, nobody's willing to, to leave because they may miss something. They may miss something. And so Jesus turns to Philip and, you know, Philip calculates the cost. And he's like, there's no way we can do this. You know, maybe if everybody pitches in, then maybe we can, you know, but like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe we can get takeout. I, I don't know. Then, verse 8, let's continue reading. Verse 8. <clears throat> One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to them, the, distributed them to those who were, who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he, holds, uh, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets and fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Now, here's what we see, that Jesus looks out. And he has compassion upon the people. Like he sees that there's a need. He sees that they're hungry. He hears the crying babies. He hears the complaining teenagers. Like he hears these things and he, he understands it. So he's going to intervene. He's going to do something about it. He's not going to see a need and not do something about it. And so he says, have the people sit down. And then in verse 11 and 12, we, we see that he, he, he says, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples to gather over gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. And if you remember, Tony ended on this point last week that God is an abundant God, that he goes above and beyond anything that we could ever ask or think. That's just who he is, that his, he is about 
abundance. And so, you know, he makes too much. That's what Jesus does. He makes too much. Okay? And then he's talking about this abundant life where we kind of ended our time together last week. In John 10, 10, later he's going to say, he's going to say, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so, but here's the problem is, the problem is, is we often misinterpret what God means and what Jesus is saying here about abundance. And, and so, we don't want to misunderstand what he has for us, but he's going to be very, very clear. And so, our first point for this morning is going to be the Jesus we want. Okay? The Jesus we want. All right? And so let's continue reading the next, the next couple of verses. In verse 14, he says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving that they, that, sorry, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so here's, here's this thing. Like they're saying, okay, with all the signs that, I mean, Jesus just fed mass quantities of people with a, bas- with, with a sack lunch. I mean, that's essentially what happens. And they're looking at this and they're going, this is, this is the prophet, not a prophet. This is the prophet. And this carries this messianic overtones that maybe, you know, this is the one who Moses was talking about whenever he spoke in, in Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen when he said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And so what they're ready to do is they're ready to rise and anoint Jesus king. They want to anoint him king. But, but you have to understand that their agenda here is we can see that that they're looking for a political Messiah, somebody that's going to rescue them from the Roman oppression, somebody that's going to rescue them uh, to meet, listen, to meet their needs. They want a king with benefits, okay? A king that will, will rescue them, put them in their rightful place, and give them a free meal whenever, you know, whenever it's needed. And so Jesus bails. Stop and think about this. Jesus bails. Like, they're ready to crown him king, and he sneaks out the back door. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I'm not, I'm not staying. So he sneaks out the back door. And my question for you and for me is, why? Why does Jesus leave? Because it's not yet time? Well, yeah, but he's, he didn't come for an earthly kingdom. That's the whole point here. He didn't come for an earthly kingdom, and he's not going to be reduced to their selfish desires. Okay, he's not about to be reduced to their selfish desires because Jesus expects people to follow him, not just admire him. Let me say that again. Jesus expects people to follow him, not just admire him. Now, I want you to stop. I was just thinking this morning. I want you to stop and think about this. Imagine the crowds. I mean, we're talking, let's just say, let's just say, let's low number, 12,000 people. Okay, let's take a fraction of that. Let's say 10% of that, 10% of that showed up here this morning. So that's 1,200 people. That way exceeds our capacity for the sanctuary, right? And so um, imagine, I mean, people are, it's standing room only. I, you're, you're crammed in like sardines in your seats. The kids, they don't get to sit in the pews. They're going to have to gather up here and just sit on the floor. And, and people are piling the aisles and we're bringing in chairs and lining up. And, and just imagine that scene. Now, Let's just be honest. We get excited about crowds, don't we? I mean, we would walk out of here. We would, it, it would be on Facebook before we ever leave. People would have pictures, right? Amazing. There were 
thousands of people at church this morning, and we'd be so excited. Jesus doesn't get excited about numbers. He doesn't get excited here about numbers. And so we got to stop and think, like, what is it that, because he, he sees what's going on really in the heart. Sometimes I do this when I'm gathered, and in, in, whether it's at a concert or maybe it's a sporting event, or even if it's high school or something like that, I'll, I'll sit in the stands and I'll look out and I'll just think of like the, the mass quantities of people, and I think, I wonder how many of these people know Jesus. And it really, if you stop and think about that, it can kind of cause you to just take a step back and reflect on like, okay, like, what's, what really matters? And so what, that's what Jesus is doing here. He's like, I, I, you can bring, like, but understand, understand this too, that he's not disinterested with people for following him. Like, he's, he came that all would come to him. We see that clearly in Scripture. He came to call the world to himself. But he's looking at a group of people and he's thinking, you know, they're really not interested in me. They're not interested in following me. They just want me for what I have to offer them. They, they just want to use me to gain to gain something. And honestly, they're only going to stay until I have nothing left to offer them. I mean, these people come, by the end of chapter 6, the majority of them are gone. The majority of them are gone. So the people come as long as he has something to offer, but when he has nothing left to offer them in their own eyes, or when he becomes not so safe anymore, or until something better comes along, you, you with me? And so they'll only stay until then. And understand this, that Jesus is setting the table uh, for what he's about to do. J Jesus doesn't waste anything. He never wastes anything, even like the leftover bread and fish, okay? He doesn't waste anything. And so he's setting the table, no pun intended, but he's setting the table for what he's about to say. And so, you know, he feeds the 5,000 because he understands there's a need and he has compassion on them, but really it's something way bigger than that, way more than that. And, and so, and then John is doing the same thing. He's setting, he's putting things in context for what's about to happen. And, and I believe that's why, you know, we're going to read through a, a short passage of Scripture here that, uh, you know, where Jesus walks on water. John's like, yeah, Jesus walked on water. Anyway, you know, it's like, hold on. But what he's doing is he's connecting the dots. He's, he's tracing the thread to, to what Jesus has just done, to what he's about to say. Okay, and so if you want to read an extensive uh, section of scripture on Jesus walking on water, then flip to Matthew because Matthew's like, Jesus walked on water. You know what I mean? Like he's like, okay, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. But John really doesn't do that because he's, again, he's tracing things back. And so in John 6, starting in verse 16, says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into the boat and started across the Sea of Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because of a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. Well, I guess so. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. Okay, so two big things happen here. I mean, well, first of all, we can see from... Uh, from the account in Matthew that Jesus is the one who put them in the boat and sent them across. And, uh, you know, and then he's like, okay, they get about halfway out because it's about a seven-mile trip. They're, they're about halfway out. And then Jesus uh, comes walking up on the water. And then not only that, uh, immediately they're at the shore. So they're about halfway there. And then all of a sudden it's like two big things, like Jesus does these things. And so, but he's withdrawn from the people. He sends his disciples to Capernaum. 
And, and you know, he, he walked on water. And John just kind of just, just glances across that like it's no big, huge deal. But again, he's pointing to the truth that the, the signs, all these signs that Jesus is doing, the walking on the water, the fact that the boat is now at Capernaum, like all these signs, everything that I'm doing, it's pointing to Jesus himself. And so let's not get so consumed and focused on the signs because all the signs and everything it was doing was pointing to Jesus. Our next point is this. The Jesus who exposes. The Jesus who exposes. As we continue reading in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone away alone other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus and when they found him on the other side of the sea they said to him rabbi when did you come here And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And so here's here's the scene. The people wake up in the morning and they're you know, they got sleepy eyes and they're looking around and everybody starts looking around for Jesus because they knew that Jesus hadn't gotten in the boat with his disciples. And they're like, okay, well, where's, where's Jesus? And so they're a little confused as to what's going on. And they realize, okay, well, somehow, some way, he must have he met up with his disciples over at Capernaum. And so what we got to do is we got to load up. And so they all load up and they get in boats and they go find him over at Capernaum. And so when they ask the question, they they present Jesus with a question. They say, hey, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus doesn't answer their question. Jesus, Jesus, you never know what Jesus is going to say, right? Like all the time, you see it all throughout Scripture. Like somebody asks Jesus a question and he like just goes off in a completely different different direction. Uh, I don't know if you have anybody in your life like that where you you never know what they're going to say. Anybody have anybody in your life like you know, like you never know what's going to come out of their mouth? You know, for me, that's Rod. It is. I mean, it doesn't matter whether we're in staff meeting. It doesn't matter. So I just like I, it took me five. Like I just thought about this for five seconds, and immediately it's like so. Uh, just for instance, uh, we were at a conference in Nashville, and we're eating dinner, and the waitress plays uh, guitar and she sings, and Matt just makes a comment. Hey, Rod plays the guitar and sings. And, you know, everybody in Nashville plays the guitar and sings. And so Rod had to set himself apart. So instantly he says, yeah, but I play with my toenails. <laughs> like, okay. J- just a couple weeks ago, we were at Zaxby's for lunch. Zaxby serves only chicken. And he's having a conversation with the girl behind the counter about sausage. He's like, she's like, no, sir, we don't have sausage. He's like, no, what about sausage? And so he's like... So he's interjecting sausage and sauces into two different, and like she's so confused. He's like, you got sauces on your menu, right? And she's like, I don't know. Like, can I, you know what I'm like? <laughs> he, he told me what he does whenever, and then I saw it from my own eyes, and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. But, you know, he, he, you know when you go to Sam's and they have the little direct TV stand set up in 
in Sam's and everybody wants you to, well, I have DirecTV, so it's no big deal. But he's like, here's how you get them to stop talking to you. I'm like, well, how do you do it? He says, just tell them you have trouble sleepwalking. Okay. But it works. I mean, I saw it in action. I mean, DirecTV lady comes up and she says, hey, sir, would you, you know, would you like to check out? No, I'm sorry. I have trouble sleepwalking. And just keeps walking. And they're like, oh, oh, okay. Uh, have a nice day. Have a nice day. I'm, I'm like, literally, we could talk all morning. There was another time there's a DirecTV lady in, uh, in Best Buy. We stopped in to grab something for the church. And, uh, and so the DirecTV lady walks up to me. And she's like, sir, you know, and I'm like, I'm sorry. I actually have DirecTV, but my friend over there, big mistake. I'll never do this again. My friend over there, uh, he's been talking about getting DirecTV. So she walks over to him and she says, hey, your friend told me that you're interested in getting DirecTV. He said, oh, he's just mad because he, uh, he just lost his baton twirling contest. Never again. Because I opened the door for that. I mean, I, I opened the door and Rod just walked through it. I think my personal favorite, and this wasn't on purpose, and now I'm done. My per, this was not on purpose, but he, uh, we, were, we were at lunch one day, and we were, we were actually on our way to that conference. And uh, you know how at Chili's they have the machine on the table, like you can pay, you can swipe your card, and you know we need a receipt. And he couldn't get it to print a receipt, and so the waitress walks over and he says, Ma'am, he says, I'm having some trouble. Uh, I, can't, I can't get this machine to repent. <laughs> Which was, I don't know. Anyway, here, here's, my, here's my point. Uh, you know, with Rod, and many of you know what I'm talking about, like you never know what's going to come out of somebody's mouth in your life. And, and with Rod, it's so random. Like his mind's always going. It never stops. And so you never know what's going to come out of his mouth. But with Jesus, you never know what's going to come out of his mouth. But it's very, very different because Jesus is uh, very intentional uh, about the things that he says. And so when the people ask this question, he understands really, uh, he's going to address the motive of their heart. He's going to address the question beneath the question. Like he's going to, he's not interested on surface level stuff. And what he's going to do is he's going to go straight to the heart and straight to the issue uh, of what's going on. He's going to address the motive. And so our, our next point here is that Jesus came to fulfill the Father's will, not ours. And so he's going to, as he's exposing, as he's exposing what's really going on in their heart, he's going he's gonna to show us that what he came to fulfill is not, not our will, not the people's will here, but the Father's will. The Father's will. If you look back in something we just kind of glanced over, and if you're not careful, you can miss it. In, in verse 4, it says, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. And so John throws this in here, but it's not just like, hey, just randomly put this in here. He mentions the Passover three times because what he's doing is, see, the people are, are thinking in terms of blood. They're thinking in terms of the lamb. They're thinking in terms of, you, you with me, of the, the Passover meal, unleavened bread. Like they're thinking, they're thinking this way. And so John is what he's doing is he's, he's constantly keeping in front of us. And the fact that Jesus constantly keeping this in his mind too, that, that he's the Passover lamb. That the cross of Calvary is always in the picture. And he's only got a certain amount of time, right? And so he doesn't have time. He doesn't have time to just small talk. Like, let's get to the heart of the matter. Let's, let, there's a sense of urgency to Jesus' ministry, which I think that we can learn from this morning because we honestly, we honestly just feel like, hey, we're going to live forever. We, we've got enough time. We can, we can do that tomorrow. We can do that later. We can do, Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't waste anything. 
And so if he's sharing a meal, he's going to use it for a specific purpose to redeem kingdom things. And so there's a sense of urgency to Jesus' ministry here. And so his ministry is about carrying out and fulfilling the Father's will. You know, some of you have built a house. Some of you have searched for a house. Um, I just want you to just think because, you know, we think a lot of times we think this is them. But we, all, we live in a consumer-driven world. Everything that we do is driven by consumerism. Everything. And so if you were going to build a house, you would want to bring in a builder that's going to build the house the way in which you want to build it, right? You would want everything to be built the way in which you wanted it to be built. And you would bring in somebody that was going to build it the way that you wanted to be built. Not an architect which, that would show up with their own plans, right? If, if you called somebody in and an architect showed up and they got their own plans and you're like, this is what I want. And, you're like, and he's like, no, I, I'm the architect here. We're going to build this house the, the way I have planned. You'd be like, no, that's no. I'm building this house for me, right? And so we would, but, but that's how we think. We live in this consumer-driven world. Everything bends to, uh, to consumerism. It really does. And what happens is, and so, so basically, you know, you know, everything. You know, you need to buy our stuff. If you buy our stuff, then this is going to make you happy. If you have this, if you do this, if you go here, if you... And so it's just consumer-driven. And so we begin to think like this. And yes, just yesterday morning, I was having a conversation with my wife. And there's a... Evidently, it's a big deal. I mean, even Krispy Kreme is, is, uh, is making chocolate donuts like completely chocolate glazed, like not glazed donuts, chocolate glazed donuts, uh, because there's a, there's a solar eclipse tomorrow, in case you didn't know. So there's the solar eclipse. And so we were just talking yesterday, she was reading some stuff and just how people are like upset at the schools because the schools haven't, haven't given their kids what they need to be able to enjoy this moment because it's a, 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 ultimately it's a great teaching moment. So the, the schools should have provided the glasses. The schools should provide, the schools should, the teachers, the, you know what I mean? And so they're all upset because we, we, we're just consumers. Like we just want things done for it. We want things, you know what I mean? And like, so every, in every aspect of life, it just kind of begins to, to move in. And then if we're not careful, then what happens is, is that type of mentality will move into the church. And so we show up in church and we think, well, I wonder if they're going to play the kind of music that I, that I like this morning. Because clearly, the music is about us. Clearly. It's not about us. I wonder, I wonder if I'm going to get anything from today's message. I wonder... When you saw Pastor Brian walk up on the stage, man, I wish Tony was preaching. I wonder if I'm going to get anything. <laughs> right? I mean, but the, the truth is, is, I mean, this is how we, this is, honestly, and, and if we're not careful, it, it even begins to work its way into the church. And so we show up to church to get fed, right? And there's a, there's a sense of that, that Bible wants, God wants to speak to us through his word this morning but if we're not careful consumerism will you know will just infiltrate the walls and you know we'll we'll be more concerned about how long the sermon is or you know and, and whatever it is just just fill in the blank and then if we're not happy if we're not happy just like in anything else in, in our life if we're not happy then we can just go right down the road because we can find another church or another something or another wife or another husband or another whatever fill in the blank 
that, you know, that maybe we want, right? And so we gotta, we got to be careful not to let this consumerism of our culture, uh, you know, get to the root of, of our heart. And really what Jesus is addressing here is he's addressing temporary versus eternal. He's saying stop living for temporary things. He's saying physical food is temporary and it's short-lived. And so when he says, he says, do not labor for food that perishes, but for food that endures for eternal life. And so he's making this point that eternal is what's important. And Matthew chapter 4 says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so our will, listen, listen, our will is temporary. It's temporary stuff. But the Father's will is eternal. And that's the point Jesus is making here. He's saying, look, go after something that's more substantial. Go after something that's not going to rust. Go after something that's not going to decay or fall apart. Like there's, there's, more, there's, more, there's more to this life than just the temporary. And not that the temporary is bad. We just can't make that the, the main thing. And so our next point this morning as we begin to move into the next text. The Jesus we need. The Jesus we need. In verse 28, we continue. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do? What what may we see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And so here we see in, in verse 28, he says, look, in verse 28, he says, uh, he says, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. And so the work is to believe in Jesus and, and not some, here, here's what's important for us to understand moving forward is that he's saying, look, for you to believe in me, all those things were signs that were, that were pointing to me, but not some, not some version of me. Not some version that you've created in your mind of what you think that I'm supposed to be, but like the real me, the me that I'm presenting to you in this moment, the real me, not some Mr. Potato Head Jesus where we get to say, hey, I like Jesus with glasses. I like Jesus with the mustache. I like Jesus with these ears. I like Jesus. Not that. That's not what we, how we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus. See, even when we come to Jesus, We don't make him Lord. We need to understand that. When we come to Jesus, we don't make him Lord. Jesus Christ simply is Lord. We submit and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We don't make him anything. He is. And he's declaring, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. You think that these things will satisfy you, but there's nothing that can satisfy you apart from me. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. And so this is the first I am statement. We're going to, you know, from here, he's just going to continue to make these statements where he says, I am the light of the world. 
I am. He's just going to say, before Abraham was, I am. He's, he's essentially saying this. All these people that you hold up on a pedestal. Look, I love Abraham. I love him. But he was just a sign to point to me. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And he's going to say, I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. So don't come after me for a free meal because at the end of the day, you're going to get hungry again. And don't, don't come to me simply to be healed because guess what? You're going to die. And so don't, don't look, and, and Jesus cares about the things going on in our life. But the point is this, is like if you're coming to me simply to be fed, you're going to get hungry again. And if you come to me simply to, for physical healing, there's coming a time where this life, that body is going to, it's going to be gone. You're going to breathe your last breath. Don't come to me for the temporary. Come to me for the eternal. And Jesus is unashamedly declaring how great he is. He is unashamedly declaring how great he is. And see, we can sit on this side of the cross. We can sit on this side of the resurrection and say, okay, yeah, you can say that. You can do that. But I want you to just understand really how, you know, how offensive this really was. I mean, it really, just think about it. You ever, you, all right, so you got people in your life that you never know what they're going to say. But, you know, sometimes there are those people that they know everything. They think they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Right? They know everything. They've done everything. They think they're amazing. And that drives us crazy, right? So what if... What if I showed up here this morning and said, the real reason that I'm preaching this morning is because I'm so great? Really, there's not anybody any better. Tony knows it. Rod knows it. Matt knows it. You know it. it you know what I'm saying? Like, if I showed up and said that, you would immediately shut me off. It would just be this level of arrogance. Like, who do you think you are? I mean, we all know better than that. Right? But... Was that Chuck? Okay. All right. Okay. The, the, the point is this, that it would, be, it would be offensive. Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is lifting himself above everybody else. He's separating himself from everyone. And he is unashamedly saying how great he is. And it is the most loving thing that he could do. Because if he didn't do that, then we would spend our entire lives chasing after something that will never satisfy, something that will never fail, uh, fulfill, for something that's going to be gone when we take our last breath. And he's saying, don't, don't do that. And so the most loving thing he could say is, is to be honest with us and say, I'm, I'm it. All those things, they were... They were pointing to me. And the people here, they want another sign. They want another sign, right? They, they want to see another sign. I mean, Jesus just fed the masses. And ultimately, you know, th this is something that people wanted in this time that we still want today. But it sounds very, very familiar. If you think back to, you know, when God delivered his people from Egypt. And, and he, had delivered, he had parted the Red Sea, right? And then the people began to grumble. We're like, man, we wish we were back in Egypt. We wish, we wish, you know, back then we had food. 
And, and, and the people constantly are wanting, this, wanting a sign. And, and so people are looking at Jesus and they're saying, okay, you're saying how great you are. You're saying how amazing you are. Well, Moses is the one who gave us this bread at this point in time. Moses fed us for 40 years. If you're bigger than Moses, then you're going to have to give us more than just one meal. And by the way, we are getting kind of hungry. So why don't, you, why don't you give us another meal? That sounds like a great idea. Not just give us a sign, but we'll just tell you what sign we think you should, should give us. And so in, in Exodus 16, 4, and they're getting things out of order. They're, they're really kind of mixing things up. They're thinking that Moses is the one that gave them the bread. And, and so in 16, 4 says, Exodus 16, 4 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. Exodus 16, 15 says, When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And so here's what happens. So God rains down bread, and they really don't know what it is. It's this bread-like substance. But understand that, that even the bread, even the manna, the signs, all the signs, everything's pointing to Jesus. Tony made this abundantly clear last week. You can look to the Old Testament, and everything is pointing to him. It's all signs pointing to him. And the people are getting caught up on the signs. So let's just imagine that... Uh, you, you want to go to Cafe Du Monde, all right, in New Orleans, which I think personally is a great idea, okay? And, and so you get in the car, and you get on I-10, and you start driving down the interstate, and you start seeing road signs. And it says New Orleans is, you know, 50 miles away. New Orleans is 40 miles away. New Orleans is 30 miles away. You know, and then you start seeing other billboards for things that are in New Orleans. So you get to New Orleans. You park your car. You walk down the street. You sit down at Cafe Du Monde. You, you order your order of beignets. It's delivered. I mean, it's just piled high with beignets. Again, bread from heaven. <laughs> Covered in powdered sugar. If you like coffee, have a cup of coffee. If you like something, get milk. Milk is good. But the idea is this. Maybe some jazz music playing in the background. It would be crazy to think that you're sitting at Cafe Du Monde. You're biting into a beignet. And I look at my wife and say, hey, you remember... Remember that road sign that said 40 miles away? Gosh. You're not thinking about road signs when you're sitting at Cafe Du Monde eating some beignets, right? The road signs were there to point you to New Orleans. But once you get there, once you're sitting there, once you're enjoying, like there's no point in the sign. You don't need the signs anymore. They were there specifically to point you to a specific place. And so the signs were there to point all along. Everything's pointing to Jesus. Everything's pointing to Jesus. And this is what Jesus is claiming. This is exactly, exactly what he's saying. And so Moses, he's looking at him like all these things, the man of Moses, Abraham, all these people and these things that you hold so high, that you put on a pedestal. That Look, I love them, but the point is, is they were pointing to me. They were pointing to me all along. They're all signs pointing to me. And don't put me in the category with Moses. And Moses didn't give you the bread anyway. It's my father that gave you bread. And not only did he give you bread then, but he's giving you bread now. But it's a different kind of bread. And it's better than any bread that you've had before. This is the true bread that, that only can satisfy our deepest needs. He's the true bread. And he's still giving it. It's satisfied. And I, you know, I just, I thought back to... You know, I gave my life to Christ when I was 27 years old. So for 27 years, I 
you know, I, I really, as I was thinking about this, I spent my life trying to find meaning and purpose and satisfaction in, in things, in stuff. And I spent my life. So, uh, you know, I had a great career at the fire department. Uh, I, me and Kevin had a successful uh, side business. I had a great family. I had a wife that I love and two amazing kids. And yet there was something missing. And I can just remember just thinking, God, in my, my prayer, the prayer that led me to him was, God, there has to be more to this life than what I'm living. And if there is, God, I need you to show me. Because those things, as great as they are, as great as they are, I love my wife. I love my children. They'll never satisfy. They'll never satisfy. And if we, if we try to find our hope and our purpose in temporary things, like, we got to be careful. Jesus is saying, like, those things were never intended to satisfy you. There are things that I've given to you to enjoy, to bless you, but the point is, like, that's not what brings our ultimate satisfaction. Our next point is this. The Jesus who is enough. The Jesus who is enough. In verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. I mean, it's the same thing that he was telling the woman at the well, that he's the living water. If you drink from it, like, you're never going to thirst again. I mean, his, it's, it, he's saying the same thing. He's trying to bring this point that I'm the better bread. I'm better. He, he declared that then, and he's declaring that to us today. You know, as I listened to Rod talk about uh, that passage in Jeremiah, we're talking about how that you've, you've traded me and you've dug for yourself broken cisterns, thinking that these things are going to satisfy. Those things will never satisfy. They don't have the ability to satisfy. The, the manna that, that God poured down from heaven, that was a sign pointing to me. But you don't have to, like, I'm it. You don't need to look any farther. There's nothing else that's going to be able to satisfy me the way that, that I do. And so here's, just stop and think about this right now. Stop and think about the fact that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, he said the things that he said. Then he lived the perfect life. He was crucified on our behalf. Jesus isn't in a, in a tomb this morning. That Jesus rose from the dead and then he ascended into heaven. Jesus Christ is is seated now at the right hand of the Father because the work is finished. It's complete. He's accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished. He is sitting on the throne next to the Father, and He's saying to you and to me, He's saying, He believes He's enough. That right now, the same way that He was talking to the people here, He's looking down on you and me, and He believes that He's enough. He believes that He's enough. And so the question for us is, is do we believe He's enough? Do we believe he's enough? You know, I was listening to the choir sing. And that verse in there says, I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than anything that this world has to offer. And we sing it. And we clap when they're done and we say amen. But would we rather? Would we be more shaken by an earthly famine or by... A removal of God's word. Do we, can we really, I mean, let's just be honest. Like, that's hard to say. I'd rather have Jesus than, and you fill in the blank. Think of the thing that you value most. 
Think of the thing, the thing that you spend most of your time consumed with. Think about that. I'd rather have Jesus and you fill in the blank. That's, that's hard to say, but that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, he's saying I'm enough, that his worth goes far beyond anything that he created, any temporary thing that this world has to offer. He's saying he's better. And he doesn't want us to just dabble with the church. He doesn't want us to just add a little Jesus to our lives. You know, to think that, hey, something's missing. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go to church on Sundays. You know, just add a little Jesus so I can feel better about myself. And so, you know, not just add a little Jesus to, uh, to the American dream. Add a little Jesus to uh, my relationship with so-and-so. Add a little Jesus to, you, you know what I mean? Like, it's not just to add a little Jesus to, you know, my car, my house, my wife, my 2.2 kids. I don't know what the average is anymore, but the point is, is like the perfect little, you know what I'm saying? Not just to add a little Jesus to that, because if we're not careful, what happens is, is we spend our whole life chasing after something that's never going to satisfy. Because whatever it is, wherever we think, whatever it is that we think is going to satisfy us, we, we get there and then we get it. And it's like, it's so deceiving, isn't it? Like it promises something, but it never fulfills what, what it promises. And so we get that thing, but it's not enough. And so then we got to chase after something else. And so that consumes us. And then it's not, it doesn't satisfy. And so then we, we chase after something else and we chase, chase after something else and it never satisfies. Jesus is saying, I'm right here. I'm right here. I gave you a meal. Yes, I love you. You're hungry again. Come to me. You won't be hungry again. Come to me. And so we can't try to add Jesus to whatever it is that, you know, what uh, I think a lot of times in the American culture, it's this, this thought process is that, you know, hey, um, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to our faith, that, you know, we're driving the car. And when it comes to Jesus, we want Jesus to hop in the passenger seat and say, hey, let's go grab a meal. And look at Jesus and be like the people here and say, you're buying, right? But that's not how, that's not how Jesus works. That when Jesus comes in, he says, okay, you get out of the driver's seat. Just take your rightful place right over here. And I'm driving. I'm driving. And this is where we're going to find satisfaction and purpose and be mostly fulfilled. And so if we're trying to do life without him, we're, gonna, we're always going to be left wanting more. And I, and I think, you know, the, the age we live in, you know, and I, I want to say this. I, I don't want you to think that having stuff is bad because that's not bad. Like, that it's not, but, but we got to keep the main thing the main thing. And Jesus is saying if, if you worship those things, you're always going to be left empty. It's never going to be enough. And so you can't worship those things. And so they're to be enjoyed, but they're not to be worshipped. And so I'm the only thing to be worshipped. I'm the only one you're going to find ultimate satisfaction. And so this affluent age that we live in kind of presents a problem. And so as, as the choir was singing, uh, Suzanne leans over to me. And, and, you know, I'd rather have Jesus than any earthly thing. And she's like, we need to put that song with, Lord, make me, make me believe. Help me to believe. It, you know, because the truth is, is like we live in an affluent age. And if we're not careful, it's easy for us to get distracted with lesser things, with these little trinkets that will never satisfy. And we can get, we can get so distracted. And so we've got to be very, very careful. And we could even forget that in the church. Our last point is this before we, before we end. Jesus is declaring 
that he is the only thing that we can't live without. Jesus is declaring that he's the only thing that we can't live without. That he alone can satisfy. Now, let's go back to our opening conversation when we talked about, for these people here, that bread wasn't something extra, that it was necessary for life. It was essential. And so he's looking at a group of people who saw bread as being essential, as being something that's necessary for life. And he's saying, look, I'm the better bread. I'm, I'm necessary for life. I am the only thing that you can't live without. I'm the only thing that you can't live without. And that's what he's saying to us today. He's saying, I'm enough. And not only that, but I'm the only thing that you can't live without. And then in John, uh, back, if we back up a couple chapters, uh, Jesus says something that's interesting to me. The, the disciples had gone out, and uh, they had gone out, and they come back, and they like, hey, Rabbi, you know, they're looking at Jesus, and they're like, hey, we need to get you something to eat. And he's like, he, he makes this statement. He says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And so Jesus, the bread of life, is saying, I'm better. I'm I'm where you're going to find fulfillment. I'm where you're going to find satisfaction. I'm, I'm it. And listen, not only that, but when you come to me and you find satisfaction in me, like you're going to be satisfied the same way I'm satisfied in doing kingdom things. So you're going to be satisfied in the eternal, but you're also going to find satisfaction in doing eternal things. Okay, and so he's like, and, and here's the point. If you and I don't believe that Jesus is enough, if we don't believe that Jesus is better, then we're never going to give our lives to do the things that he's given us to do, to accomplish the things that God's given us to accomplish. If we don't see him as better, then what we're going to do is we're going to chase after lesser things. And Jesus is saying, come to me, I'm it. Like, I'm it. I'm the bread of life. I'm everything you hope for. I'm everything that you need. And then give your life to doing kingdom things. Be about my Father's work. This is where true life, the abundant life, really is. And that's what he's declaring. He's saying, you can't do without me. And you can live for something more. And he's calling you and me to do that today. And so the last question I want to leave you with this morning, and I think this really, really is an indicator for us, is what are, you, what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? What are you most hungry for? What do you most want in life? What, what defines you? How do you define success? See, Jesus is saying, I define success by you coming and believing in me. I define success doing the things that the Father has given you to do and accomplishing everything that that is. That's how I define success. How do you define success? And Jesus is saying, success is found in me. Success is found in me. And so Jesus is unashamedly declaring to the people here in John chapter 6 and to us this morning how great he is. And so for, for us, I think, you know, if you're, if you're a believer here this morning, I mean, I think maybe it's just a good reminder for us to just say, you know what, it's good for me to just take a step back and be reminded that, you know what, these things are before me all the time. They're in front of me all the time. And I see people who have them, and I want them. But ultimately, at the end of the day, they mean nothing. They're going to rust. They're going to decay. And they mean absolutely nothing. 
And so I've got to just take a step back and be reminded that Jesus is more than enough than anything this world has to offer. And I want to give my life to building his kingdom. I want people to know that he's better. I want the world around me to know how great he is. And so that's, that's what I want my life to be about. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never tasted the true bread. You've been chasing your whole life. You've been looking. You, you know that, you, that you, your heart is missing something, that, that you are trying to find satisfaction in all these things that were never intended to satisfy you. You've never tasted the bread of life. And so the invitation for you this morning is Jesus is saying, hey, come to me, believe in me, taste and see, I'm good. If you're a child of God here this morning, you know, you know that, like, I just think back to, to before I was a believer. It can't compare. No, nothing this world has to offer compares to the bread of life. And that's what he's declaring to you and to me this morning. Let's stand and let me, let me pray.